Do you guys curse at all? I do, but I can also not. Not <laughs> just like the warm people ahead of time. If you curse, I'll curse. You don't curse, I won't curse. I'm like a social chameleon. I curse every every ten words. Yeah, yeah. that's perfect. That's definitely going to the beginning of the show. All right, we're doing it. I'm ready this time. <clears throat> ready to go. What's up, UX fam? How's your mom and them? Welcome to another episode of Beyond UX Design. I'm Jeremy. If you're new here, welcome to the show. I'm super stoked to have you. If you haven't done it already, consider liking or subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you are regular here and you feel like you're getting something out of the show, I would really appreciate a five-star review. Not just a little five-star. I'm talking like a couple sentences. Apple loves that stuff. So do I. That'll help me out way more than you can imagine. I also want to give a special shout out to Chris for supporting the show every month. And to join Chris and help keep the show independent and ad-free, you can become a patron for as little as $3 a month. And if you do that, you'll get some sweet, sweet perks for your support. And of course, if you think the show is worth sharing, then for the love of God, tell somebody about the show. All right, so I've got that out of the way. I am really excited today because I have not one, but two guests on. The dynamic duo that makes up Kick-Ass UX, Mr. Colton Schweitzer and Ludovic Delmas. Ludovic, I didn't even ask you how to pronounce your name. Did I do you did it so it? well? Oh my gosh. Is it Ludovic though? I've, I've, no. no, 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 no. You did it so Ludovic, well the first okay. time. You know, I've I've heard everything and I've heard so much that at Starbucks I, enjoy, I just gave up. I'm I'm Kevin. So much easier. <laughs> so where where are you from originally? I'm from France. You're from France. Okay. So yeah. it's not I was I wasn't sure if it was like I actually know a guy from Romania and it was his no. last name was Adsich with a C, but it was a just sound. Anyway, yeah, all, all kinds right. of spellings. <laughs> <All right>. Yeah. <laughs> you did really well. I'm impressed. Thank you. Thank well you. Done. Thank you. All right, so uh, Kick-Ass UX is a mission-driven education company co-founded by Colton Schweitzer and Ludovic Dalmas. Their goal is to reinvent UX education and provide a more personalized, honest, and accessible learning experience for aspiring UX designers. They believe that traditional UX education is expensive, impersonal, inconsistent, and doesn't provide practical skills for students to succeed in the industry, which I have seen firsthand. Colton and Ludovic are educating UX designers for a post-boot camp world with six core tenets, personalized. Fun and intense, wildly confident, stretching the limits, accessible, and the one I like the best, no BS. Yes. So Colton and Ludovic, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> that was a long bio. That bio, by the way, <laughs> written by ChatGPT. I took your about page, just copied and pasted, said, write me a bio. <laughs> Boom, oh got done. Gosh. I love it for that. It, that is like- Saved me like at least an hour. <laughs> yeah, it's more. amazing. It That's the best job. part about it. It's the summarization. Feel free to, feel free to, you can use it. You can use that. You guys go online. All right, cool. So tell me a little bit about you guys. I want to I know, uh, Colton, Ludovic, you guys, I think what, from what I understand, a little bit different paths into the UX design career. Yeah, we have different paths. I mean, kind of similar, but also different. And so the way I got into UX was I, I, my degree was in business, so completely not related. But in business school, my the thing that I liked the most was actually doing the creative part, you know, creating the slides, creating the visual hierarchy. I was having more fun than the actual business school. I'm like, oh, what, <laughs> what am I going to do? Crunching numbers all day long, you know, in an office. It's just like, it was so dreaded. And so I was like, well, I need to figure out a way to um, get more, be more creative in my daily work. Otherwise, I'm, I know for a fact that it's not going to cut it. Um, and so I created two case studies of my own entirely by myself, uh, read some oh, wow. blog articles. And, you know, that, that was a few years ago. And so there was not as much as many resources out there. So it, it was even harder. But um, yeah, I pretty much did it on my own. I created two case studies in a specific industry that I knew a lot of which is the uh, travel industry. I've traveled a lot. And so I was like, well, I, I know the pain points of a, of a frequent traveler and let's do that, right? 
And so slowly over time, I build up cases, build up a portfolio and then got a job. And I think that the, the reason why I was able to do this and get a job, even though I don't have a degree or anything related, was to the fact that my case studies were unique. I knew exactly what I was talking about. I had a very specific positioning and, um, and I specialize in mobile. And so that's one of the things also that we teach all of our students is like, we tell them how to, to niche down, niche down. And so that's what I did in the past, but it wasn't easy. Uh, I learned a lot along the way. And so for sure, all these learnings um, are definitely in our programs and course. And so we can help students have a much easier and smoother transition than I did in the past. Uh, but yeah, it was fun and rewarding, but extremely challenging. As you're blazing the trail, you're, you're knocking down all the, yeah. all the trees and the vines so somebody else doesn't have yeah. to trip over them. I love that. Yeah. 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 Colton, what about you, man? How'd you get in the UX? Uh, by accident. I, uh, That's I, usually the case. Yeah, exactly. I, I didn't know it was a thing. Like, I, I think a lot of us didn't realize it was a thing. And so like, I went to the University of Washington, and I went there to be an aerospace engineer. And oh, wow. um, yeah, I was like... Very different. <laughs> That's to, different from business for sure. Yeah, very, very different. And I realized very quickly into my degree that I was going to hate my life if I spent it behind a desk crunching numbers <laughs> yeah. similar to Ludovic, but very different kinds of numbers. Yeah. And so I pivoted, but I only had really the funds to do a four-year degree. And at UW, like if you don't start the right degree like from the very beginning, then like you're out to lunch and, and like I'd have to go for a fifth year. So I ended up a, a communications and political science major. And I didn't want to be a lawyer and I didn't want to go into politics. So I, I'm sure you can imagine I didn't really have a lot of job prospects coming out of sure, school. Man. And so I ended up in a dead end job. And uh, that was great because it allowed me to like I had a lot of extra free time. And so I, I decided to make a board game. I, I figured I could make a board game that was because uh, at that time, like, Cards Against Humanity, Cards yeah, Humanity yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and uh, Exploding Kittens were like <laughs> blowing up. Uh, pun intended. And so I was like, I, I can, I can do this. And so I decided to make a, a party game and uh, initially it was called shit happens, but eventually it was called son of a blank. And, um, I built it following the UX process without realizing it. And then by the end I was like, I, like, I, I just loved it so much. And like, wow. you know, I started with like a low fidelity prototype and well, actually it started with competitive analysis, user interviews, but again, it was, I didn't know that those were a thing. I just kind of did it naturally. And then I, built low fidelity prototypes and tested it like with just all, all the ways I could and had just so much fun. And then I found out afterwards called UX. And so <laughs> from that point forward, I like basically consumed as much information as I possibly could. But at that time I had a belief that I had to have a certificate or a diploma to land a job. And so I actually about a year, year and a half after I built the board game, ended up going to general assembly, which helped fill in the gaps that I didn't learn on my own. Uh, which was great. There was definitely some positives about my experience, but also a lot of negatives about my experience. And so I came out and um, I wasn't getting any bites. For, uh, you know, my job hunt was really, really rough. And it was because my portfolio looked like everyone else's. <laughs> and and uh, which yeah. is <laughs> no surprise. It's very much cookie cutter program. And don't get me wrong, like my, my two teachers are amazing and they're both amazing UX designers and product designers. Like, absolutely amazing. Um, but like just the curriculum is set up to, to kind of spit you out as a cookie cutter. And so, uh, it wasn't until I added my case study of my board game that I started getting callbacks Man, and I started, and that's I when it. I landed my job. Yeah. And so, uh, that is my journey into UX. And the one thing that like I wanted to call out there is, you know, this is something that we, we tell all of our students and all perspective people. And this is something we're very clear about 
like, and I'm sure you say very similar things, Jeremy, and that is like, you don't need a diploma. You do not need a program like ours to land a job in UX. That said, there's a reason that we exist and it's because it shortcuts your path and provides like, basically what you need is mentorship. You need mentorship and a way to consistently put out uh, like unique projects that are unique to you. And that's the reason why Ludovic and myself made it in is because we had things that were completely unique to us. And so like, that's something I always want to call out though to the people is like, you don't necessarily need a program to do it. You can totally do it on your own. Just realize it's going to be very difficult. The, the, there's a long road ahead of you. Uh, and like, but, but it's completely doable. And so that way, like people know that like, you don't need to pay a lot of money if you don't want to do that. You don't have to, but if you want to shortcut your way and there are other ways to go, it's just whatever your learning style is like, you need to follow that. So to follow that analogy a second ago, yeah, you guys were out there trailblazing, you're chopping down all the vines. You don't have to follow that path. You could yeah. you could get your own machete and chop down some vines. Oh my or gosh, exactly. yeah. I've never, I've never been trailblazing before. So. That forest is dense. Yeah. That forest is really <laughs> dense, I swear. And it's gotten denser and denser. Now it's, yeah, denser and denser every day. So, you know, Ludovic, you mentioned something. You, hadn't, you didn't go to school. You taught yourself. Your case study was unique because you hadn't seen all these other examples. And Colton, you went to General Assembly and yours came out being just this cookie cutter. I'm I'm curious that compare Can you compare and contrast those, those, if if you can even remember at this point, I can talk about that from his perspective, actually, because I'm curious. I'm actually really curious. Yeah. And the reason I can is because I was on the hiring committee uh, that when Ludovic Uh, came into Smartsheet, I I was like, well, sorry, I was on the, the, not the panel. I wasn't like, didn't have a say in it, but I, I got to witness his, uh, presentation and whatnot. And so like what was unique about his stuff was like we saw a ton of boot camp students try and come in and land jobs at Smartsheet. We did so many. And eventually they stopped taking like our, you know, our company stopped taking interviews for most boot camp students unless they stood out massively. Wow. That's oh that's fascinating. And, and oh, it's yeah. because that was like part of your yeah, yeah. that makes total sense. Yeah, because everyone looked the same and they couldn't explain yeah, their why yeah. and there was just a lot of problems behind it. Um and it wasn't just like boot camp students. They stopped taking a lot of interviews also from university students for very similar reasons. Wow. Okay. And it's interesting. Be, and it wasn't all of them. Like again, they took uh interviews with people who stood out. But again, coming back to Ludovic, the reason that his stood out is because he worked on real business and user problems. Like they very much existed. And he specialized in mobile and did a great job of following the UX process, but not like so rigidly that he was doing it like a checklist. He was doing what made logical sense, right? Like the way that I like to think about the UX process is either as a detective or a treasure hunter. And I think treasure hunter is more visually stimulating and exciting for me. So I like the treasure hunter part (laughs) where like, imagine you have a map. Right. And like a, all you have is the first clue or you know where you're starting and you know you need to go this general direction. And so like you take your the best step you can take, you learn what you can, and that tells you where you need to go next. And you keep following those clues until eventually you end up at the treasure, aka build the product or service that you're working on. And so like it's it's a logical thing. It's you're using critical thinking. You're not just doing things because you think you ought to, you're doing them because they make sense to do them. And so coming back around to Litovic, that's what he was doing. And that's what his case studies wow, okay. showed. But he worked on things that no one else that we had seen had done. And even though they were conceptual, and he made that very clear from the beginning, like 
they were different than what we would ex expect from juniors coming into the same spot. I appreciate that many years later. I, I, I love to hear <laughs> yeah. the other side of the spectrum. I was like 20 people in the room was like, what are they thinking about this? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you know, like I think you're 100% right. And, and the fact that's also one thing to add is oftentimes with boot camps is group projects. And so you have, let's say, yes. like two or three people in one group or maybe four. And they all work on the same thing, right? On my, I did everything by myself. So I could back up every single design decision because I knew intimately every single part of the UX process. And so that's probably why Colton, like when you were saying like, um, yep. it felt like I, I knew what I was talking about because I knew what I was talking about. I did everything by myself, right? It makes a huge difference because oftentimes you see those yep. crazy fast programs, you know, like 10, 10 weeks, <laughs> 12 weeks. It's like learn UX process. Yeah, sure, but you learn in a group setting and then good luck creating something that you can fully back up by yourself. You cannot say you've done everything, that you've stretched, you know, your comfort zone, all this. No, it, it's just not the same, right? So uh, doing... That's actually yeah. a really good call out real fast. Uh, I wanted to say, Jeremy, which is, um, you know, the fact that like there's a misconception about um, what a lot of aspiring UX designers who are coming into a program or boot camp, whatever it is, they think that they need a group experience, like working as a team. And don't get me wrong, you do, but not in the way that you think you're working with other UX designers in the same project. Yeah. Like right. most of the time, you are a solo designer doing everything. Yeah. Like, and so when when you like as great as it is to get collaboration experience, it's better in my opinion to get collaboration experience with a product manager yes. or a developer. Like collaborate with the people you'd actually be collaborating yes. with in exactly. the real world. Yeah. Like it's very unlikely you'll be working with another junior designer or another designer on a project other than your manager or, or someone who's like looking out over your work. And so like there's this weird misconception about like, oh, I need to work in a group project when I'm hopping into a program or boot camp. Yeah. And like I'd say it's the exact opposite. <laughs> yeah. Like you absolutely yeah. do not want to work with anyone else on a project other than to get feedback because otherwise you're diluting your experience, you're diluting the things that you now know and can say you can do, and like can't then, like to Ludovic's point, you can't speak to your design decisions. Yeah, and then you, you might feel like, you know, like you, you, you're you not super comfortable with your user research, you're like, ah, oh, you know, I'd much rather delegate to someone who actually likes it. And then you don't get the practice for it just because of the fact that that kind of stretch your comfort zone a little bit, and you're like, ah, can you please do it for me? And then you know you just don't have that experience. <laughs> and then when the time comes for the interview, it's just like you cannot really support things, and it doesn't feel like you know what you're talking about. So yeah, major point yeah, Colton, that's that's really true. You know, I, my experience too like at GE, we have I'm trying to think of the number of people on our team, the UX team total on our space. Probably like 70, no, no, not that many, 50, maybe 50 That's awesome. or 40, but they all work on completely different things. So we, and even within there, we've got maybe, I think it's like 50. I can't remember off the top of my head. We just hired a bunch more people, but we've got three different groups. We have like an engineering, they work on like apps for new make engines. We have a military team that works on military repair and, and all kinds of stuff. And then a commercial side that works on commercial engines, you know, like Delta, KLM, and so even within there, there's separate products. So all of our teams, we actually have a, a one or two products where two designers work together, but there's more like a lead and then, a, and then an interaction yeah. design. So a product design and interaction design under, and they'll kind of trade off, you know, product a little more strategic, interaction a little more tactical. And even then you're still, you know, maybe there's a critique where the larger team will get together. And if you're lucky, you could, you know, share ideas and brainstorm together. 
but you're right. For the most part, you're, you're, you tend to be working somewhat on your own. You know, maybe there's a dedicated yeah. researcher depending on the product and the budget. Yeah, and, and if you don't work on your own, I mean, like if you work with another UX designer, the conversations and the collaboration you have with them is completely different as to, you know, convincing stakeholders uh, or making sure that you understand the tech stack, making sure that you understand the tech limitations, that you, you have a good idea from the PM, you know, the scope of things. These are very, very different conversations and, and they're not the same as just a designer to designer collaboration. It's completely, completely different. So even the nature of the collaboration, um, just for that fact alone, like working on group projects with other designers, it's not going to give you nearly like, it's only going to give you 10%, you know, of, of that collaborative aspect. Like the PM and the devs are the ones that truly, truly take that to the next level because they are the other side of, of the product team that you will need to work with and to collaborate with early and often. Um, so, yeah, definitely. I, I love that you mentioned that. I want, I want to talk about that in a little bit. Don't yeah. forget about that. Because uh, I want to talk about that collabor- collaboration piece and how you guys actually teach that. Because that, that's a really interesting thing I've, I've often found that engineers are the, maybe the last thing that designers are thinking about in a lot of these boot camps. And, and just for some reference, I've been uh, on ADP list for God, like over a year. I got like a hundred, hundred uh, sessions, like 3000 minutes or something I've been doing for a long time. So I've talked with like a ton of people. And the, the interesting thing is I, I see this so often people coming to boot camps, like I need a job. I can't get a job. I can't get a job. And I look at their case study and you mentioned the group thing. I look at them, it's all, it's like literally every single thing that you could possibly ever think to do on any design project ever, you know, yep. like absolutely every step. And I'm like, well, what did you do here? You didn't really explain. Like, well, I didn't do that. That was somebody else. I'm like, well, why is it in your case study if you didn't do it? <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, like, why are you talking about doing like maps or uh, interviews or something? It's like, maybe it's important to take the, the output and synthesize, synthesize that data into your next decision. But why would you put that? You didn't do it. You know, it's like, well, it was the group project. That's what our people told us. about. I'm like, guys, <laughs> seriously, you know, like, how do you explain this in an interview? You wonder why you can't get a job. We're in a mentor session right now. And you can't even like explain it to me, you know, and this is like the lowest stakes thing ever. So I've, I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've talked with people who've yes. gone through that experience and then just shocked, like what? Can't get a job. So, so I want to <laughs> talk a little bit about this. This kind of leads to the next thing I want to talk about, which is what is wrong with UX education today? You know, why uh, is there, so much. <laughs> why is there a need for something like what you guys are doing is like this different thing. You like, Colton, you mentioned this, we, your team was not even considering bootcamp people anymore because of how, you know, consistently lackluster, I guess, for like, a better that way. was many years the, ago. The, 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 that was many years ago. Right. Yeah. Which is even worse. Now. This, is, this is like 2016, yeah. 2017. Oh, wow. Dang. Okay. Yeah. So this is, this is a while ago that we Damn, like, okay. that she, like our, our, the, woman running it like she just decided like she was just amazing she just decided she's like we're no longer taking interviews from these people unless they reach out directly to us and are outstanding mm, like wow. like i'm tired of it like we took enough of them and it wasted our time and that was like literally because exactly what you're saying they couldn't describe their process very well they didn't have a reason for it and like they're all group yeah there's just so many problems with it so we just stopped taking interviews from boot camp students and many university students so what, what is it that, like, I'm curious from your perspective, because I, I assume you guys have talked with a lot of different people uh, over the, the course of doing Kick-Ass UX. What is it, it's like a, is, I mean, maybe there isn't one thing. Maybe it's a million it's things. Many I'm curious. Things. 
Yeah. How, how did, I don't, we, I'm sure we could spend a whole freaking episode talking about how we got here, but yeah. somebody recently mentioned it was like the gold rush in, in uh, you know, yeah. the, the 1840s. And and the only people making money are the people selling the shovels and the pickaxes, you <laughs> yep. know, and nobody else is really making money. But I, I'm curious from your perspective, is there something like in UX education today that you feel is just missing or not there or maybe too much? Assi- I don't yeah. know. I'm curious. So many things. We yeah. touched upon already a few, right? We said like, uh, for example, the process, the way the UX process is taught is very linear. It's checking boxes. And then when you talk to all these people on the ADP list, you see that they just put, you know, UX methodology one after another without any real validation or without any real reason actually for it, right? It's just like, oh, it looks good to put an empathy map here. or oh, it looks good to put this there. Yes, but why do you actually need that? And that's one of the key things that, you know, we try to really work really hard on, on our programs, which is how do you teach not only the UX process? I think that's fine actually to to teach in a linear way for the first case study so that they can solidify their understanding of what the UX process entails. They kind of start to get comfortable with it, but then they need to be forming opinions as to what decisions do they need to make and what methodology would be the best in order to solve a specific problem and not just like go through in a linear way, right? So that's that's one of the major issues that we see all the time is all many boot camps, many universities teach things in a very rigid way. And then as soon as students are taking a bit off course, they're like, oh my gosh, like what do I do? I don't really understand like which methodology I should use. Uh, why I should even use it, what would be the best thing to do based on the very specific problem I'm experiencing right now. And so what we're really doing is taking the step back and saying, wait, wait, why are you going to create a persona now? Like, how is that going to be useful for you right now? Wouldn't you instead be looking into, I don't know, whatever other methodology it is, so that it can help you move forward? Um, So that's, that's a major, major problem. And actually adding on to that, one of those like kind of byproducts of that problem is students of many university programs and many boot camps were taught that exactly what Ludovic's talking about, this very linear, rigid process, this checklist of things you have to follow. And they then have this attitude that like, I, I, we were literally schooled on it at general, when I was at general assembly, this is in 2015, that there was an attitude from bootcamp students that everyone else is doing it wrong. And that attitude is still very much there for wow. people who are like, oh, you're doing UX the wrong way. It's not right if you don't do it these ways. And like, there's this weird elitist attitude that comes out from the, like from some of these programs and bootcamps that are just like, where is this coming from? Where it's like, if you're not doing all these things and you're not practicing UX, it's like, first of all, you haven't been in the industry that long. So I don't know that you can really speak to that. But, but you know, it's, it's very, very true where this like, weird belief system about UX has come from like this, like you have to do all these things to get it right. It's really weird. Yeah. And, and good luck telling your engineer and your product managers that are a bunch of idiots. <laughs> <laughs> the first day, like, what are you doing? You're like, this is not how you do UX. Yeah. I just graduated boot camp. I don't know how to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So I'm curious. So you guys, uh, very different backgrounds. Um, I, I, did you guys meet at work? You were mentioning yes. that, that Ludovic was interviewing and I assume that put two and yeah. two together. So I'm, you know, yeah. uh, that you guys met at work. What made you guys decide ultimately, uh, you know, let's start our own thing. We're not seeing this, you know, we're not seeing what we need to see you guys. Uh, you're, yeah. are you doing kick-ass full-time? Yeah, we cool. are. Awesome. So, right. so basically how it went down was, um, you know, kind of coming back around to my path into UX. Like I got in and I landed my job finally in 2015. 
and uh, was doing UX work before then to you know get my experience up and like was building websites in 2011, 2012. And so I'd like been very much around the space, but it was just not the full knowledge until around late, like mid 2014 ish. And so anyway, like after finally landing a job in 2015 and then like quickly moving up and like just getting all this experience, um, people kept approaching me saying, Hey, how'd you get into UX? How'd you get into UX? And I like, it was all on LinkedIn or in general, like, you know, I'd have people at our company reach out and just want to learn more about, you know, how I got it, became a UX designer. And so I saw that there was a problem and, and in people then I'd also got, I'd get plenty of messages from people who were bootcamp grads asking how I would got a job. Like I'm, I'm doing this. And I can't get it. Yeah. What the <laughs> hell am I doing wrong? Yeah. yeah basically that. Oh and just, just all these people reaching out to me and I was like, okay, there's clearly a problem. And so like, I knew my experience based on like the fact that I wasn't landing a job afterwards because uh, I was using all the stuff from the bootcamp and then adding my, my board game, I started getting callbacks. And so I knew about that and I was like, okay, I can put together a course. And this is like, I was think, starting to think about this in like 2017 ish. And then like 2018 rolls around. I'm like, I'm definitely going to do this. And then 2019, like early 2019, uh, you know, came around in February and I was in a meeting and, uh, with Ludovic and I mentioned all like this problem, all the problems that we're talking about came up and I'm like, I'm planning, I'm like, I'm starting to build a course on this now. And Ludovic's like, Oh, I've been thinking about that. And I was <laughs> like, just said it out loud. You're like, if I say it out loud, it'll happen. Yeah. Committed. You're committed. Yeah. And then Ludovic's like, Oh, I wanted to do the same yeah. thing. And we're like, we should talk. And then like, that's basically like the moment when kick-ass UX was born was basically in a meeting where we both realized we wanted to do yeah. the same thing. In one sentence. Yeah. And, and the cool thing is that, you know, Colton on his end, like the thing is that he knew the experience of going to general assembly, going to a bootcamp. And it was like, oh my gosh, yeah. why is it so hard for bootcamp students to, you know, to get that UX job? And on my end, it was different. I wanted actually to create a course and I actually started and I gave up because on my own, I was like, oh, it's way too much work. I'll never be able to finish all that stuff. Um, but on my end, the reason why I wanted to start a course and I actually started to create a curriculum and everything on my own before we actually ever even talked with Colton was the fact that, wow, it was really challenging to do it by myself, like extremely challenging. How can I make it easier for people? How can I make it faster? All these things, right? And so like both of our strengths just came together and just like create this perfect um, combination of experiences that then enable us to create something that is very unique. And, and that kind of counters all the cons that you typically see in a, in a bootcamp or in, in a program, yeah. So such a cool uh, partnership, yeah. oh my gosh. You guys are lucky to found you. <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> the best. Yeah, it's you guys best. are like business soulmates. I love That's it. Yeah, right. we, I would, I would absolutely agree yeah. with that. Yeah, <laughs> you guys have mentioned this a couple of times. Unique, you got a unique thing. And by the way, before we start talking about this, uh, Colton and Ludovic have not paid me to come on today. Uh, this is not, <laughs> no. this no. is not a paid sponsored uh, thing. I just, I really love the approach. And like I said, I've been on, I've been on ADP list for a long time. I've had a lot of sessions with people that I just feel like. I'm like, you guys are just not going to make it in this industry today. You haven't learned the right stuff. And when I see the stuff you guys post about and I see some of the stuff on your website and, and other things that you guys have done, I'm like, I think you guys are getting it. So I, this is right. I want to have you on the show. This is not a, not meant to be an infomercial for anybody <laughs> listening out there, by the way. <laughs> no, definitely But I want to know, um, you guys have mentioned this a couple of times, unique. You, you're unique. You have a different one. Tell me about your, your, what is it that makes you guys unique and how you approach UX education versus, you know, a boot camp? Yeah. So first of all, there are a few things that are very unique to, to Kikas UX. We work only with creatives. 
creatives only. So that could be graphic designers, yeah. visual designers, people who have some sort of sense of uh, visual balance, hierarchy, contrast, all these things, right, that they were taught in school. It could be in, in different ways, right? It's not like um, the typical graphic designer. It could be way more than that, right? Architects. Um, but we only work with these people because they already have a sense of design already. And then we just come in here to augment it with UX and adding skill sets that are very in demand nowadays. Um, and so that's that's one of the aspects. And then in, in the actual programs itself, I would say that, so we have an entire module on communication because one of the things that creatives dread is they oftentimes, you know, task to create something, to create a deliverable. And then they really dread the fact that they have to show it and get stakeholders' opinions that are very subjective. And oftentimes that's the part they hate the most because they're like, what, the, what are they going to say? You know, are they going to love it or are they going to absolutely hate it and tell me to redo it many, many, many times over, right? Um, and so we we knew that. And so that's one of the reasons why we have an entire module on just communicating with stakeholders. And so as we were talking about earlier, um, it could be, how do you communicate clearly with a dev? How do you communicate clearly with a PM? Uh, how do you gather support from your teammates? That's one of the things that most boot camps don't even teach. And then people are just not ready to have those conversations, right? And it's, it's insane because it's, it's such a crucial part of the UX process. Sure, the work itself is important, but the collaboration is just as important, actually. You know, it's just without it, you just cannot uh, move forward. Um, you, you cannot gain that support from your teammates. They might get defensive. I mean, there's so many things that can go wrong, right? Um, so that's one of the things. Uh, another thing that uh, we take a lot of pride in is making sure that every single student has a very unique positioning. And what we mean by this is oh, yeah, that... Like you guys cultivate Yes, uh, and yes, from the beginning, yeah, not at it. the end when it's time to put your portfolio together and it's already way too late because you've spent like six months working on your case studies, right? But at the beginning, it's like what kind of UX designer am I going to be at the end of this? Am I going to be specializing in mobile? Am I going to be specializing in, um, I don't know, like in a very specific industry, a specific vertical? Um, you know, what are the things that will make me a very specific, unique uh, UX designer, and um, and and that's what we do right from the start of the program. I mean, there's a lot of things like that make us unique for sure. One of the one of the ones that I think it's it's sad that it makes us unique, but um, <laughs> we so deeply focus on the why behind your decisions yeah. and your designs. And what's sad about that is that should be a standard everywhere. It's it's not rocket science, but for some reason, people don't think they focus on the what and the breadth of knowledge, but not the depth of knowledge. And so they don't focus on why. And so that's something that we talk about. Like, and I, I'm sure all of our students get just so tired of me just hammering it in <laughs> basically every week where I'm like, you really need to have a reason why behind this. Like, like you shouldn't be doing this just because now don't oh, get me wrong. Yeah. Like how it works. Our main program, UX UI expert is 22 weeks. And so, uh, we dedicate roughly 12, 13 weeks um, to the first case study that they do. And that is fairly linear. So that way they can get a sense of all of the different things they might use. So like user interviews, usability testing, is that way they can get experience with that. But then we have a second case study that's six weeks long and they have a break week on either side. So really eight weeks if they want to stretch it out. And they have to choose which methods they use to actually get the like create a solution by the end. 
Oh, and wow. so like okay. that way they have to think through and they have us, you know, to help guide them. But at the same time, like they have to make those decisions so that they can actually end up at a solution within the time frame. And so like, for example, last, uh, this last cohort that just graduated recently, one student didn't do user interviews because it didn't make sense to do them. And like, and she, instead she waited to get user feedback until she could run some usability tests where others, we had a couple of students who did at the end. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Who did do user interviews and only did like a, one or two usability tests because they were very confident in their designs. And it followed very, very specific design patterns that are already where, like very much used out in the wild. And so they felt more confident in their solution that they wouldn't have to be doing as much iteration and like also to double check their work. And so the thing is, we're trying to teach that intuition, like the why reflex behind yeah, what you're yeah, doing yeah, versus yeah. like, you know, just teaching what you're doing and that you have to do these things. And so that, again, that's kind of sad. <laughs> um, but then uh, the other thing that makes us unique, though, is a little bit kind of already mentioned it, but they work on um, two projects that are completely unique to them. So they don't work on it with anyone else. They nice. choose them and they are specific to the industries that we're hoping that they want to join. So, for example, like kind of speaking to what Ludovic was talking about, let's say that a student's really passionate about the food industry, which we've had someone in the past. Shout out to Camille. And um, she was like, just, I want to work in the food industry, food tech in particular. And so she only worked on projects that supported that goal because that's where she wants to work. And cool, yeah. there's this weird belief. Like every time I post about this on LinkedIn, I have a bunch of like haters is too, like, like not the right term, but they come through <laughs> and they're like, Mason. oh, this isn't right. <laughs> and they're like, you need to be more broad. Like if you're not broad, then you can't cast the wide enough no. net. And that is so wrong. Yeah. That is so wrong when like, like, you know, the, the, the way to think about it is like, if you have a problem, just in general, if you have a problem, you look for the most specific solution to that problem. So for example, let's say I have, I don't know, plantar fasciitis. I wouldn't go look for issues with my ankle or my knee. Yeah, yeah. If I'm looking for something for plantar fasciitis, I'd look for issues yeah. for that or whatever, insert problem here. And the yep. same thing goes for looking for a job. Like if someone's looking to hire someone, like let's say they, they're in the food industry they're going to be far more likely to hire someone who has industry specific knowledge related to the food industry than they would for someone who has general knowledge. Yeah, and exactly. so it makes far more sense to spend more, spend your time learning about that space and putting pro, like creating projects in that space. And so another thing that makes us unique is exactly that. They create projects that are specifically tailored to those industries. For me, for instance, like I'm, I love enterprise design. I'll never apply to a, a social media company ever. Like I would, it's not anything I ever want to do. And if I did, yeah. I probably wouldn't impress them because everything is like data tables and, you know, enterprise interfaces that look pretty awful, but they're really interesting, complex problems. And anyway, yeah. I really love that. That got me thinking about uh, a guy that I, I met through ADP list. One of the, one of the really unique, and you mentioned this with your, your case study, your board game case study. He is his past life. You know, he was a career shifter. His past life was as a cake uh, a baker, a, a pastry chef, and he baked cakes and he couldn't get a job. Same thing. And then he and I were talking and I was like, dude, baking a cake sounds a lot like a UX process. You meet with a client, you understand what they want, you design it a couple iterations. And then I'm, you know, at the end you bake a cake and everybody's happy. You understand their budget and their constraints and their needs and blah, 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 you know? And he made a cake study and he posted on LinkedIn and like, I'm not kidding, dude, like two, three weeks later, he had a job. Yeah. Not yeah. surprised. That makes sense to yeah. me. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it's the same thing. Like, you know, exactly what you're talking about, the board game. Uh, he works at Cvent now, which is like an event planning um, SaaS company they help. You know. So again, going from that, that industry, he was familiar with events. He was familiar with catering and all that stuff. And now he's helping to make software. It, it, it makes perfect sense to me. Yep. 
just to be clear, right, when we say that it, they're going for a niche, that's a positioning, right? But then in terms of learning, all of our students right. are generalists, yeah. right? So f in terms of the UX process, understanding the full spectrum of, of all the methodologies, then they, they are generalists. But in the way they position themselves, in the way that they uh, are seen by the audience, which is hiring managers, they are very specific and they have very specific industry knowledge or uh, very specific platform knowledge like mobile, right, or versus desktop, things that make them very strong to that specific audience, but not to another one. So when the time comes right. to actually attract those very specific types of hiring managers, then of obviously they'll be on top of the pile because everyone else is a generalist in terms of positioning, right? Um, and... It's like blah, it's like vanilla, right? It's like everyone else. It's like there are thousands of people that are, that are generalists. It's like, so what? <laughs> so, right. And so when you niche down in terms of positioning in how, in, in, in some of the strength, then, then you attract the, the attention of harm. And just to be, just to be 100% clear, because generalists was thrown a lot or out a lot in the last, like when we say generalist, when we're specifically, you talk about generalists, we're talking about like being a UX generalist where you can do the entire process yeah. versus like um, someone who, like what Ludovic's talking about, positions as they can work on any in, in any industry. Like that is what we're saying. Like that, and that's why we're saying like we don't believe in that. Like we believe that you should focus on like a specific industry or a specific thing like that you care about. And then a, it's a win-win because you get to work on something you actually want to work on. And you but care, then also yeah. like you're that much more in demand because you have specific skills and you can multiply those. We can multiply those, which is even stronger, right? So when you think about positioning, you can say, well, I don't know what kind of industry I like, right? And in that sense, well, niche down at least in a platform, right? Like be a, a specialist in mobile or in desktop, right? Really know what you're talking about there. But if you multiply those, right? Like in, in the example I called and gave Camille, she's great because not only she's specializing in the food industry, but she has strong mobile knowledge. And so if she's able to attract you know, that very specific audience that is looking for a mobile designer for the food industry, oh my gosh, yeah, obviously they're going to want to interview her, especially with the, the great work she's done too, right? Um, but yeah, absolutely, they can be multiplied. And the more you multiply them, the less opportunities you have, but the stronger the few you have uh, will be. Yeah. Yeah. And this is something, you know, I've, a lot of times the people that I'll get on ADP list a lot is, you know, Help me. Um, I, I'm having trouble even getting a callback. Yeah, I'm. So, I'm applying to hundreds of jobs. No one's calling me back. I'm never getting anything. You know, and that's one of the things I tell them is like, find the companies you want to work for. Find the industry that you're passionate about, and just target those companies. Yes, and craft your resume and your portfolio to market to those companies and find out what they want. Yeah. I mean, you, you want to present, right, Jeremy, I'm not going to say uh, against the, anything against that. That's 100% true. But the sad truth about this is that most of the time it's already too late. They already spent six, seven, eight months building case <laughs> studies that are completely irrelated, completely decorrelated one from another. One might be in the travel industry for mobile. The other one might be for who knows what on desktop and they don't communicate. They don't create a strong positioning. And so yeah, absolutely. You're 100% right. And if they discover that too late, then it might mean, well, do I go back to the drawing board and create another case study to, <laughs> to create a very specific positioning? Then most of the yeah. time it's, yeah, it's sorry, but you have to. Otherwise, you will not attract anyone, Some right? Costs. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so something um, uh, you guys mentioned this a little bit ago, and I want to I want to talk about this too. Something that makes, I think, you guys unique from others is this idea of collaborating with, with the larger team. 
This is something like you mentioned. Oh, I, I'm the UX designer. Why does nobody listen to me? Fighting about, you know, there's a 10 pixel spacing difference on this thing, you know, and holding up this whole like product life cycle because you want to fix the spacing on a button or something. So what, how do you guys approach this collaboration across the team with engineers, stakeholders, product people, and stuff like that? How does that, how does that happen? Basically what we do is we talk about it from the beginning and they have access to, so kind of how our program works is we um, have recorded all of these videos. There's like a hundred plus videos. And so what'll happen is the students will watch the videos and we talk about it. And, um, and so that way, like we don't lecture, you don't have to try and, you know, stay super focused all at once. And so anyway, we talk about it. And so in our program, we don't have like any, like, well, some of our students actually do end up working with real companies and they do end up collaborating with developers and product managers and whatnot. And it's up to them to find those opportunities. Um, and we have, so we have had people do that in the past, but we typically just talk about it. So we have a couple of lessons that are dedicated to that. But one thing that we're really excited about that, um, we can't talk about the company just yet, but, uh, as part of our next cohort, we are actually partnering up with a apprenticeship company. And so all of our oh, students awesome. have the opportunity to, after going through our program to then go directly into an apprenticeship yeah. where then they get even more experience that they can then use. And so yeah, um, something that we're really, really excited yeah. about. And so that way they actually will have experience working and communicating with developers, but mostly to answer questions, things that we talk about. So it's like, you, you know, we talk about the communication aspect from the very beginning. It's like, okay. The thing is, is communication and design is almost equally as important as your design. Like your ability to get support and garner support for your design is what really matters. Because if you can't support your own designs, then no one else is going to follow, you know, actually care and want it to go forward. And so, uh, and that comes from including product managers, well, they should be involved in the beginning, but developers from the very beginning, getting their input, making yeah, sure that it's technically yeah. feasible, having you know, conversations back and forth, realizing what is possible, what's not like, and then also having the give and take conversations of like, okay, I know I can't do this thing, but like, can we do that? Like, it's about compromise. And so we have those conversations from the very beginning and we have lessons dedicated to teaching exactly that. Like what is the, like, what does collaboration actually look like and how does that work once you actually have landed? Yeah. And it's very strategic. For example, like how would you ask for feedback, right? How would you receive feedback? Uh, these are things that, you know, are kind of overlooked, but it's essential to um, have a healthy conversation, collaboration with your coworkers. If if you don't set the right context, you could get the wrong type of feedback. And then that's going to piss you off because you're going to hear things that you don't want to hear. Um, and you're like, well, I just had a meaningless meeting with all these stakeholders. And I don't know why they told me all these things. And now I have to go back on something based on the irrelevant conversation so the, the only thing is like well you need to set the right context you need to understand how to ask for the right type of feedback um, and so the, there are strategies that that we talk about on how to do this uh, so that everyone in the room understand exactly what you're looking for and they're not sidetracked by potentially billions of things that are <laughs> around the specific problem and specific thing you're trying to talk about right so yeah because yeah, one of the one of the things like i, I see this a lot with with people coming out of boot camps, but even four-year degrees or, or self-taught people even sometimes, because they hear this from other people, but UX, you, why you have to listen to me? I'm the, I'm the UX person and I know what's best for the user. And you know, this, this idea, I mean, software is so hard. You can't build software without people. No way. You can't build it without <laughs> other people. And if you are constantly just butting heads with them because you think you're right and they're wrong, you're never, you know, this is what I tell people all the time. It's like, your hard skills will get you that beautiful Figma prototype. Yeah. 
but the soft skills are what's going to be get, get that design pushed to production. And that's what matters. Like if you can't get yep. it pushed to production, what was the point? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was 100%. just a complete waste of time. Yeah. So, 100%. you know, I love that you guys are teaching that. And then this is something I think like the apprenticeship thing is, is huge yeah. because there's so much you, even with how you guys are doing, there's so much you still don't know until you actually get in there and start doing it. And you start working with engineers and you can actually see how that collaboration works. I love that you guys mentioned that like starting early. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've gone to a, an engineer and wipe, just whiteboard stuff before oh, I yeah. even get into and just, what do you think of this? Like, well, you know, you could do that, but we have this other component or there's this backend service. It's not going to work. It's going to be blah, 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 whatever it is. You know, they're, they're going to talk to you about the constraints, the possibilities, and they understand the context so early. Yes. And if you can give them the context, I mean, engineers are brilliant and they're creative people. You know, yeah, they're typing in code, but they're still creative. The way they're solving problems is just creative in a different way. Yeah. You know, bring them in early and, yes. and let them share in that. And they love it, man. Oh, I yeah. have never worked with an engineer who was like, shut up, just leave me alone. <laughs> let me code. You know, like, no, I, you know, there's like those stereotypes like that, but I've, I've, I've very rarely, if ever, run into those yeah. types. They love the collaboration. Especially yeah. if it's already, like you said, yeah, if it's too late, they'll be a little pissed off. Yeah. That's why you need to know when yeah. to step in. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and what we used to do in my old team, we would take engineers with us on research trips, man. Yes. Like we went to the shops, we would take an engineer product UX all the time. Every time we took the three, the three, of us, the three amigos, yeah. we called it. Yeah. And, and they just, they, they, they just soaked it all in and they loved it, you know, because a lot of times too, it's like, we're just handing these designs over the fence and they'll just go and design. They think it's right. They're meeting their acceptance criteria, whatever's in the, whatever language your team uses. And, you know, they're, they're just doing their job. They got stuff to worry about. If you get them to like want to help build better software, they want to. It's just they need to understand yeah. the same things you do. Yep. You know, yeah. so like including, I just feel like that's so, I love that you guys are doing that. But that apprenticeship thing, I mean, that's, yeah. uh, you know, I can't wait <laughs> yeah. to see that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm we're excited. super excited about that. But kind of coming back around to two points you just talked about. So for one, I, yeah, we like, so when I first started at Smartsheet, like we, uh, UX wasn't fully accepted and like embraced there. And so like, um, our boss, Kit Unger, who is now the SVP of design at Mural, who is just absolutely the best person. Oh my gosh. Wow. Um, Mural, she, the, uh, like whiteboarding yeah. app? Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. Cool. Oh, yeah. Awesome. So she, she, um, really evangelized UX and, you know, one of the things that really helped her with that is like anytime that you do like a, like user interviews or usability testing or any of us, we would do our best to invite engineers and anyone else who wanted to show up and they would be in another room. And then we'd, you know, have the interview or whatever. Cause a lot of those were in person at that time. And then, um, the other thing that she would do is anytime they, they would do a um, contextual inquiry where they go on site, they would bring engineers along like you're talking about. And every single time you could see this massive shift in the way that engineers like, approached boom, design boom. Yeah, and like absolutely. how much they cared about like getting it right so that the, the customer could have something that they actually could use and appreciate. So that was one thing I wanted to call out that I think is just, it's amazing when you actually start to see engineers get involved. The next piece was, coming back around even further where you're we talking about um, communication and, and whatnot and like how uh, like so many designers, especially new aspiring UX designers and, and some people in the old guard, like have this weird belief that UX is like, you have to have all the right thoughts and you have to be a design genius <laughs> and it's on you to like champion, you know, the right design and solution. And like, that's so wrong, so wrong. Like, you know, like UX is a team sport. Yeah. Like at the end of oh, the day, yeah, it's everyone's business. And the way I see design is like, yes, you're like, you're the facilitator. You're the one who's helping all these people work together. And the product manager is your, your co-captain 
and uh, you are all working together oh, to get this. I love that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like you're working to get across the line. And like you're the one yeah. who's like creating the vision based on things that the team is contributing, what, I guess I'm, what you know and your usability knowledge. Like you're making sure that this vision comes to life and is usable, relevant, and meaningful. Like that is your job. And like it's not to be the genius who has all the greatest ideas and you're, you're not Steve Jobs. Like th th that's not what it is. And you're not trying to be that. No. Like at the end of the day, if you're a, a, like a design island, you're not going to go very far and it's going to be a really rough time. Yeah, absolutely, dude. Well, you know, it's, you mentioned this and I, I, I want to call it out. It makes your job easier. Yes. <laughs> you know? Like when we, oh. um, one of the reasons why we started bringing the engineers to the shops, I, we actually had this light bulb moment. I was in the break room. This was pre-COVID before when we actually were in the office. And I overheard two of the engineers arguing about a thing in one of the features. And I realized like, neither one of you know what that thing is even supposed to do. <laughs> you have no clue. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I started asking them like, how much you guys feel like, you know, they're like, well, I don't know. So we started doing this survey every quarter. My UX team, we had 70 engineers. I had a team of five designers and that two were in Budapest. No, three were in Budapest. One was in California, two were in New Orleans. So I had a, I had a bunch of, all spread out all over the place. And we had four pods in New Orleans, four pods in Hungary, in Budapest. And we started sending out the survey. And one of the first questions was, how well do you think you know the users? And 84% of the engineers said they had no idea what the users did. And I was Ooh. like, fuck. I was like, shit, we have a problem. Yeah. So yeah. we started doing like education. We, we did this thing where we would like uh, every, every uh, month we would meet for an hour and they could ask questions and I'd go through processes, like just whiteboard processes. I wasn't even talking about the software, just this is what the business does. And that's when we started taking engineers. And after a year of it, we got down to like 20, 22% said they didn't understand. So almost like flipped. Wow. So, wow. you know, it was just like, and it, but, but I wasn't getting these crazy yes. questions. Like I would get questions, I'd fight. I'd be like, guys, it has to be this way because that's the thing, you know, whatever. And they'd be like, well, that's stupid. We shouldn't do that. And yeah. then towards the end, they'd be like, okay, yeah, cool. That makes sense, you know? <laughs> and it just made my job easier, you know? Yeah. And it, I didn't have to have these conversations over and over and over again. Um, and so just the collaboration, man, just makes everybody's job. Oh my easier, gosh, you know? yes. It's like, you can't build software without great relationships. No. It's just like, it's impossible. Everyone is a core well, designer. You guys are teaching that. That's you, yeah. You should exactly. put that on your next LinkedIn post, Jeremy. You can't I've got a whole case study. I actually did a case study just about that. Just about that. That's thing. awesome. But yeah. you should though, the, the quote at the top of your LinkedIn post should be, you can't build great software without great relationships or something like Dude, that. That's, that's in my said. bio. I got that right up at the top. I got that on my website. Oh, that's it. Right? I love that. TM, baby. Trademark. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you guys can use it too. I'll, I'll let you license it. For a thank you, thank you. Um, Yeah, so, uh, so cool. So we talked a lot about, I love this stuff, man. You guys, you're building the hard skills. You're building the soft skills. I, it's just like the whole package. I love it. And I, I feel like just how you guys are doing it, the way you're doing it, I, I feel like it's the right approach. What's interesting, you mentioned this, is the economics of it all. Yes. The way too high a demand very small supply. And yeah. before, before I got into UX, I, I was an economics major actually at LSU and, uh, which was interesting. And I, I spent all this, all this time, almost graduated, could not pass calculus. I could not pass calculus. All those, all those supply and demand curves. I didn't know this at the time when I decided to do it, but you have to know calculus to, to plot the, the, the supply and demand curve, which, you know, made, was a huge mistake for me. But anyway, I learned a lot about supply and demand, which is really interesting. And I just see this right now, like the supply and demand curve is just at not at equilibrium right now. And you've got yes. way too much demand, very small supply. But, and, and the interesting thing about this, if humans are, are as rational as econo the economists say they are, eventually you're going to get people just dropping out. They're going to be like, you know yep. what? I'm going to do something else. I'm not into yep. this. So the, like, just like you said, the people who want to do it, 
the people who care, the people who are passionate about it, if they stick around, it's only a matter of time. <laughs> it's gonna, it might take a little yeah. while. I have no idea yeah. how long. But eventually, yeah. you know, it's going to get back to equilibrium, I think. Yes. Maybe yeah, yeah, sure. might not be the fat 250K tech salaries that you're making out in, uh, you know, um, the Bay Area. But, yeah. you know, it, it's still, it's probably going to be decent, hopefully. It, yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, at the end of the day, like the people who start now are going to be the ones who have the knowledge and skill set ready to go when those jobs are there. Because, again, right now, the biggest problem that all of our students are facing, and, and no matter what way you hop into UX, you're going to be facing this problem right now. And that is like, you're competing against other more senior designers who are just laid off for one. And then yeah. there's also just uh, like beyond the fact With that- X Google, X Facebook, X exactly. this, X that, yeah, right. Yeah. And then all the other people who are trying to get into UX as well. And so like, the thing about that is, is like, again, people who start now would be the ones who are ready. And we are wildly confident in all of our students because we know that their work stands above yeah. like- Almost, I, I can't think of another boot camp or university program where their work does not like exceed what we've seen come out of those programs by a good margin, especially with the way they can talk about it. So, like, it is only a matter of time, especially with all the extra work that the like those who actually want to land a job in UX have put in. It's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And amazing. I think that's a great metric also to keep in mind, right? It's like, um, uh, how confident are they, right? It's like they could, you know. Do you really actually know what you're talking about or do you feel like semi-confident, right? And so what we're trying to do, and at the end, we see it with seriously, like all of our students, it's like, yes, I finally understand, especially after the second case study. The first one, they, they're starting to understand things, they're starting to understand all the methodologies. And the second one, it solidifies everything. Oh, wow, everything clicks, right? And so that's the thing that we're looking for as the key metric is uh, how confident and how able are they to back up their design decisions and how confident are they uh, in saying why they're able to um, choose a decision over another. Um, and if we're able to do that successfully, then them finding a job is just a matter of time, right? Okay. Unfortunately, like we said, like right now, timing is not is not going for that them. Sucks. <laughs> but again, it's just yeah. a matter of time until they find something. And we know for a fact that they will. As long as yeah. you know, if they apply the, the job strategies that we're talking about, and actually uh, earlier in this uh, in this podcast, you were saying that you talked to a lot of people coming from ADP at ADP list saying, "Oh, I applied to 100 jobs and I don't get anything." First of all, like that's a red flag, right? You don't want to apply to 100 jobs. <laughs> so that's that's another thing that I wanted to touch upon, which is we give them strategies on how to not apply. Actually, uh, getting a job is not applying to to a the board. sneaky way. Yeah, exactly. And so that's one of the things. It's like um, creating those conversations with hiring managers take time to, right? So it's it's not like you can create a genuine conversation with someone and expect to get a job the next day. It's more like you talk to a hiring manager one day and maybe in three or four months from now, once they have a, an opening that matches exactly what you, what you are as a designer, then they will think of you, right? And that's kind of the, the game that we're playing, which is think in terms of quality of conversations rather than the quantity of application that you're sending that will be destroyed by you know the robot on the other side and then you just pray hoping that you might get a, a reply back right so yeah. Um, yeah that's also that's that's a wrong way to 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 do it which is applying to jobs now so yeah. yeah for the networking piece i like i like to use the analogy of like an avocado tree you plant an avocado tree it's going to take it might take years you you're not going to get an avocado for a very long time you gotta yep. water it, you gotta nurture it, you know? That's right. Eventually, you get a nice sweet avocado, you make your own avocado toast. Yes. But it's gonna take a while, you know? It's not yes. something you can just plant it, like, you know, in the case of the layoffs, 
you don't start ne- you don't start nurturing network uh, your network the day you get laid off. I mean, it's got to be something that's in place like a safety net. So, same kind of thing. I and mean, this is something I tell people a lot. A lot of a lot of, a lot of like uh, uh, taglines today. We got stop applying, start connecting. That's what I tell people. <laughs> you know, stop applying to jobs, start connecting with humans, and you'll yes. you'll probably have a much easier time getting a job. And you won't have to fill out a million resumes. It'd be, it'd be or a yeah. million applications. It'd be a lot easier for you. <laughs> yeah, work smarter, not harder. Yeah, yeah. guys. 100%. All right. So, anything else? Anything else you guys want to talk about that we haven't had a chance to to mention today? We talked about a lot. Well, the one thing I'd say is, um, you know, uh, coming back around to all, why we. I work specifically with creatives, but just in general about UX as a process and just UX as like the skill set is just so wildly useful, no matter what you use it in. Like it, it can be applied to anything. And this is why a lot of our students don't actually plan on landing jobs in UX, but they want to apply it elsewhere where they realize, oh, you know, they love like a lot of, you know, another issue, the well, issue, another thing that we've seen is a lot of our students love design and graphic design in particular but they're running into issues of subjectivity or they can't get it across the finish line because of stakeholder opinions or whatever it is, right? There's yeah. a lot of different I things like that happen. I don't like blue. Can you make it? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Make it bigger. And, <laughs> make it and so bigger, like yeah. the thing is that you're able to use their UX skill set and apply it to that. And so even if you do this, like you go through UX bootcamp or you go through a program like ours or a university program, whatever, or do it on your own, just know that the skill set that you're going to learn is just going to be wildly valuable no matter what how you use it it's like it's a way of thinking it's a way of approaching the world and so like that is one thing that i want all people to realize is that like even if you just teach yourself like there's plenty of ways to do that and whatever you learn is going to be you'll be able to use it no matter what you do with like in your life whatever career you have like you can apply ux principles to whatever you're doing and make it infinitely better yeah, that's a really good point. Actually, uh, you know, like we we get a lot of students saying, "Oh, I got a raise," you know, still at their current job, not as a UX designer, but I got a major raise because I'm able to communicate with devs so much better now, and I cannot believe, you know, like how it changed our relationship. Like, yeah, and and so you know, like their managers see that and they're like, "Wow, they're a totally different graphic designer now," and so they. Um, evolve in a major way from a collaboration standpoint, from understanding all these uh, these uh, very complex soft skills, and um, and that's a major win, right? Um, so yeah, definitely. Yeah, one of the things I love that you guys are doing with creatives too is you know this is something I've I've talked with a lot of people, but the UX piece and the UI piece to me are very different skill sets. Right? Yes, yes, one person can do both. Yes, but doing UX and being a good visual designer are not the same. No, right? no. <laughs> and they are very different skills. And yeah, you should probably learn both and get good at both. But taking those people who have already got the visual, maybe they're not UI designers, but they've got a graphic design sense. They've yes. got, they understand topography yes. and color theory and all those things. You don't have to teach them that piece. And it yep. makes it a lot easier because yes. you know, how do you, I mean, how do you, how do you do both in yeah. six months? I mean, it's so hard. I mean, there's four-year programs for, for, you know, BFAs and things like that, where people are learning design and studio workshops and all these things, hands-on, you know. <laughs> Um, that's really hard uh, to do yeah. in a boot camp, especially. So, 100%. you know, a lot of times I see people come out of boot camps and they're just ugly as hell. Yeah. Oh my God, guys, like this is just so yeah. visually unappealing. So, the fact that you guys don't have to teach that because you only accept creatives, I think that's a really smart move, actually. Yes. Because, you know, they've already got that design sense and, you know, then you're able to just teach them UX stuff. We actually augmented, Jeremy, which is that, you know, they, they have a visual sense, they understand hierarchy, contrast, all these good things. 
but UI design might be so remote to poster design or to illustration mm -hmm. yeah. design, yeah. right? Stuff like that. So uh, what are the rules? How would you uh, swap the rules from that mindset, more graphic design mindset, to a UI mindset where things are much more packed in? There is so much more information density. Therefore, how does it affect your type, your spacing strategy, your color strategy, all these things, right? So we actually dive in extreme depth in UI design but it's so much faster for people to get it just because they already have that background, right? So, but no, we actually touch upon that, but- That's good, that's only, awesome. Yeah, because it, it is very weeks. different. I mean, yeah. I, you know, graphic yes. design and UI design are definitely different, but you, yes. know, you don't have to teach them the color theory, you don't have to teach them all the, right. you know, they, they already have taste, <laughs> which yeah. is very hard to teach. Yeah. yeah. Uh, cool, well, I love that, guys. This is awesome. So how do, how do, how do we get uh, in touch with you guys? Where where do we go? KKSUX.com. KKSUX.com, and yeah, we have a bunch of, Awesome things there. We have a free UX newsletter we put out every Saturday. We have a free UX course, which is roughly four that. hours of content. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, a Figma workbook. So a good place to start if you're getting used, like, new, if you're new to the UX and you want to learn and not get confused by all the just vast amounts of conflicting information out there. Um, yeah, like, I think that's the best place to go. It's definitely kickassux.com. Right on. And also too, if you're on LinkedIn, uh, both of you are pretty prolific LinkedIners. Is that a yes. word? LinkedIners? <laughs> LinkedIn content, content <laughs> people. Uh, you post stuff on LinkedIn quite a bit is what I'm trying to say. Uh, so follow uh, Colton. I know you're posting pretty regularly. Ludovic, you you were at one point. I think you probably will again. I'll be but, back. Uh, pretty awesome stuff. I know. I, I'm like, I I, uh, I actually, I did a little bell for you guys. So anytime you post, if you, you're probably wondering like, why the hell is Jeremy like constantly? I don't know. I love that. <laughs> constantly, awesome. you know, he's like, shut up, dude. <laughs> you know, uh, anyway, I, I get notified anytime. I, I love I love the stuff you guys are posting. It just Thank resonates you. with me for sure. So um, I'm, I'm happy to have you guys on and talk about Kick-Ass UX. I think you're doing really good stuff. Thank you so much. Thank you. One last thing I actually wanted uh, I wanted to touch on real fast, which is, you know, we, we talked a lot about our program and what makes us different and, and like why we've done it this way. And like the thing is, is like you can absolutely reverse engineer everything we just talked about and use it if you like are going the DIY route, you're like you're doing it yourself no matter what. Like you can reverse engineer everything we talked about in this and like do it yourself. Like you yeah. don't necessarily need a program like ours to get in, but there's a reason we have it. It's because we've seen the problems. We know how to shortcut it, but still like, you know, I don't want to have anyone feel discouraged like that. They can't, if they, they can't afford our program or they can't afford another program. Like there's, there's plenty of ways to get into UX. You don't have to have a certificate. It's just programs like ours are meant to help you get there quicker and, and have a deeper understanding faster. But again, like you can absolutely do it on your own. Like it's totally like the thing that's awesome about UX and one of the things I love about the industry is the fact that like there are very few gatekeepers. There are a few, but there are very few and people are very accepting of new people trying to get in. And so yeah. like if you have that extra experience in the background of it's a creative, that's reason one of the reasons why we focus on them. That makes it easier to transition. But like, yeah, like you can do it on your own. So I, I have an analogy. I love analogies, I love this. by the way. So you could climb Mount Everest on your own. Yes. Or you could get a Sherpa. Yes. You guys are like the UX Sherpas. <laughs> yes. Get your that own like you cook a dinner, you know, you pitch your tent. You know, you could pitch your own tent, you cook your own dinner, you get your own donkey. Or you could get, you know, Ludovic and Colton could help you out and make it a little easier. <laughs> That's exactly over, over right. Over Just go. one more thing. If you do it by yourself, you better get a mentor somehow. Someone yes, in the industry, someone you know, someone, whatever. But get a lot of feedback because you all do things wrong. You will not know it's wrong. I had a bad case of Dunning-Kruger effect like 10, 15 years ago. I thought I knew everything and I got a job somewhere else. I'm like, I didn't know shit. What the hell, man? Yeah. I, don't know how, I don't know how I got paid before. But anyway, 
yeah, that's that's absolutely one hundred percent true. I, I I love that. Find find somebody, find a coach, mentor, whatever, whether that's informal, formal, and just yeah. Oh my find, gosh! Find yes. somebody, LinkedIn, whatever. Just you know, find a find a group, find a crew, and make sure you don't uh, you know stumble down the Mount Everest as you're Sherpa <laughs> up or whatever. All right, All right guys. So uh, you guys have a I minute. Mean, I know we've been talking for a while. This is, this is the longest episode yet, but I, we had we talked about a lot of good stuff. Um, I got a few questions just to help our listeners get to know you guys a little bit better. You could you could tag team and answer both. You could hand it off. I got five questions. However, okay. you guys want to answer it, I don't care. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's awesome. go. All right. What's your favorite non-design book? Uh, the Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss, fantasy book. Absolutely amazing. Highly recommend. And okay, or that was quick. You just the Writer of Revelations, which is a, th- a series, but uh, by uh, Michael J. Sullivan. Those are All both right. fantasy and amazing. Right on. Oh, my gosh. I, I, I guess I just read business books. I, I, <laughs> but, I'm the same uh, way, dude. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love, um, I, well, actually, one of the best books I've read in the past was uh, brand, uh, The Brand Flip by uh, Marty Neumeyer. I just cannot believe the amount of information in there. It's just absolutely stunning. And, and I love his uh, customer-first approach. It's just such mm-hmm. a great book. And actually, all his books are great. So buy all cool. of them. Yeah, Marty <laughs> yeah. Neumeyer, yeah. Yeah, he's, so, he's the man. Semi-design related. <laughs> eh, semi, yeah. Whatever. Business is agile, whatever. I'll, I'll let it slide this time. I'll let it slide this time. All right. Uh, what's your favorite non-design podcast? It could be a business podcast. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. The only one that I really like ever tune in on because of interesting guests is the Joe Rogan, Rogan podcast. Oh, okay. Joe Rogan. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. That's yeah. That's the only one I ever really tune in on uh, semi-regularly. But how about Well, that's you? a non-design like, podcast. Yeah, True. But like, yeah, I, I don't really listen. I, I listen to a lot of audiobooks. Like that's my my main like source of like, yeah, just out, like entertainment, I guess, outside That's of- That's close enough, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, sure. for me, I, I'll I'm mostly listening to books. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll let that one slide for audiobooks, <laughs> podcasts. Ludovic, yeah. you got to answer? You, you listen to podcasts? I don't have time for anything. Don't have time. I don't even watch TV, you know what? Like I don't do anything but work, I feel like. It's just like so much work on <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> The only time yeah, I, I listen to podcasts is when I'm washing dishes. <laughs> like put my earbuds oh, nice. in, I like wash dishes. And yeah. my wife's like yelling at me. I'm like, I can't hear you. I'm washing yeah. dishes. Just like, <laughs> get that goddamn thing out of here. Very similar thing for me. All right. What's your favorite meal? Hopefully you guys eat. You got time to eat. What's your favorite yes. meal? Yes. Oh my god. Literally needs to answer this. He's uh, the real foodie between the two of us. Now this could be something you cook. It could be something you've eaten somewhere. Could be favorite genre. It's up to you. It's very up for interpretation. Right now, because I'm I'm gluten free and vegan. Gluten free, not by choice. Vegan by choice. And so like, there's not a lot of places that can really <laughs> accommodate me. And rice um, noodles is basically. It, yeah, basically. But there's a like Ethiopian food has become mm, my jam because it's like almost exclusively like, it can be vegan and they like use like uh, typical injera is, is gluten-free. And so, um, there was a place in Seattle that is called cafe Jabena and oh my God, their food is just unbelievably good. It's so, so good. And so I'd say like right now, like if I had, you know, tomorrow is my last day and I had one meal left, <laughs> I would probably go there. All right. right it's on. really, really, really good. What about you, Ludwig? And uh, I might be a little biased there, but I love French food. Uh, yeah, it's kind of, makes uh, sense. you know, and I would definitely go at my grandma's because she, whatever she cooks, I'm just like all oh, in. She just <laughs> does the best food you can think of. It's just like, oh my God, how? Can't beat it's grandma's amazing. cooking, man. Well, Jeremy, what about you? Oh, what's about me? Oh, Jesus, I can't answer that question. Um, <laughs> my favorite meal. So I, I think my favorite meal ever was not something I cooked, but it was a uh, pock pock in Portland, Oregon. 
yeah, oh, yeah. 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 Tough tough you ever been to Pac Pac? I, I yeah. literally, I'm like probably 20 minutes from there. I went there. Oh, you, you, I thought you no. lived in Seattle. You're in Portland. I was. Pac Pac, dude, that down. was the best meal I have ever had in my entire life. <laughs> like I, I still, I have dreams about that meal. Uh, we had like all kinds of stuff. It's I, spicy though. Oh, I love yeah. spicy. He can't I'm do from spicy. New Orleans originally. So like, I just, you know, I eat spicy food like crazy, but man, oh, they had like this, these chicken wings. We had like some kind of pork, something, the vinegar, like drinking vinegar, which I'd never heard of before. It was, yeah. I don't know. It was delicious. Unbelievably good. Oh my God. Nice. Park, yeah. so. Well, next time you're back in Portland, you got to let me know. Cause I'm only like 20 minutes away across the river. We moved down in July, but there's another place you have to go to in Portland. And it used to be my favorite meal before going vegan. It's a place called Andina. It's a Peruvian okay. restaurant. Ooh, and okay. uh, they like basically have taken a lot of the traditional Peruvian meals and just made them more gourmet. And uh, it's usually in like the top three to five restaurants of Portland every year. And my favorite oh, dish really? there is called the Lomo Saltado. And it's um, like a steak that's like perfect with just all these different things on it. Oh, and it's just unbelievable. Good. <laughs> I love it. That mm. was my favorite meal before yeah, so, going well, vegan. I, well, I went to Portland 12, 10 years ago before I had kids. So like, I'm probably never going there like anytime soon. I don't know. We'll <laughs> see. Uh, but my wife and I, we took a trip to Portland and then we took a, the Cascades up to Seattle. Dude, it was nice. Oh my God. That's and nice. we were there when it was like sunny the whole time. Oh, summer. I don't know. We You're just lucky. magically picked a random. I had a friend who lived in Portland at the time. And uh, yeah, it was sunny the whole time. I was like, well, let's move here, you know? And <laughs> we ended up, you know, never doing it. It was pretty far from New Orleans. But anyway, Portland, that's, that's my jam, dude. All right. Speaking of vacations, what's your favorite vacation spot? Uh, mine's Hawaii. You know, it's probably very stereotypical of anyone on the West Coast, but I've grown up going to Hawaii, and uh, the Big Island of Hawaii is my favorite for sure. Like um, that, or my family's cabin, which Ludovic's been to with us. Like those are my two favorite vacation spots Ooh, for sure. The cabin. I want a family cabin. What about you, Ludovic? <laughs> you, you're like oh, that's sitting all over Europe. Probably you got like a million places you could have gone. I could. Yeah, I mean, I, I could talk about many, many, many places, but at the end of the day, you know, like I'm, I'm not in France that much anymore, and so like going back there is just always so much fun. You know, seeing family seeing France, seeing like it's just such a different vibe it just takes you takes your energy down it just like slows things down it just the energy is way 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 different people are way more relaxed over there and so it's it's such a good vibe every single time to be a wow i can't so believe i left this your place. favorite where, where are you from what, what city i'm from Bezier, which is south it's uh pretty close okay. from spain and so down there is super okay. warm and so uh, like mediterranean side or yeah atlantic yeah, okay, yeah. cool wow okay, mediterranean right, yeah, cool. yeah 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 so there you go it's famous it's pretty place. close to the beach Oh, yeah, man, yeah so pretty much right there. I, oh man, uh, grandma's <laughs> cooking. You got the beach. You got all. Man, <laughs> I'm jealous. Take me with you next time you go. Can I go? What about you, my kids? Jamie, what's your favorites? Uh, you know, man. Oh man, my favorite vacation spot. It's probably just the beach, like a beach, any beach. beach. I don't care. I don't care what beach. <laughs> Preferably not but, one with like a giant high rise condo, but, but like, like something... warm, warm, like tropical beach. Oh or yeah, like... yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, like um, okay. Caribbean or like. Uh, we went to Costa Rica for our honeymoon. That was like amazing. Um, even like Destin, Florida, somewhere in the panhandle is fine. You know, yeah. I don't care. I'm not picky. Uh, white sand, preferably clean, clear water, preferably. But yeah. we went to uh, Northern Ohio. We, we just moved up to Cincinnati a couple of years ago. So we've never been to the Great Lakes before. So we went to the quote unquote beach of the Great Lakes. It was like brown water and like uh, rocks <laughs> no. and stuff. And my kids, <laughs> you know, they had a good time, but it was not. It was not, not what I'm same. used to when I think of the as the no. beach. Not the same. Uh, all right. What's your favorite design tool that's not Figma? What does does that exist? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you'd be able to call, call it a design tool. I guess you could, but Webflow. 
Um, I would say because you can use it for prototyping. You also can yeah. like. You, I would say that Webflow is one of the best ways to learn uh, code without actually not without having to know how to code. Like you learn principles the principles. Yeah, you learn the principles of like CSS and encoding in that way. And and like also, I would like you have to really understand the box model to use Webflow. And so, um, there's like I re- we recommended to all of our students that at some point you use Webflow because you'll get a ton of empathy. For yeah. your, your <laughs> it's developers. funny you mentioned that because um, they they tout as like no code and I yeah. I did Webflow for like a friend for like a pro bono thing just to help him out and I was like you have to think I mean, you might not need to know the the the, the characters yeah. but you've got to think like a developer yes. to build yeah. something in Webflow unless it's not like easy. It, you know <laughs> yeah but it, I mean it's not as simple as they make it sound but it is really that's a really good way to put it though you gotta you gotta think like it. Uh, yeah. What about you, Ludovic? You got it. Uh, I mean, you, you lost me. Like, uh, that's not a design <laughs> software. That's not Figma. I mean, I'm like, what? Like, maybe like Figma by Adobe. Like, I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like, seriously, Figma is just such a powerful tool that yeah, at this is. point, like, Sketch is way far. Adobe XD is pretty much dead because they acquired Figma. What else? Uh, Framer we is just not hearts. there. We were Sketch yeah, we used hearts. to be. Yeah. And we were teaching Man. our program initially up and like we sorry before we even taught our first program we were going to teach it in Sketch and before we had it we switched over to Figma because that's when like the real big turn yeah. moved Man. and it was and so we, leap. We, and it was such a good move that we switched over to Figma but like oh my um, gosh yes but yeah so Sketch was our our go to but yeah it's hard to say it's something other than Man Figma. at work we're stuck on Sketch because uh. of all the security for GE so it's like no. the big problem is like it's on Figma servers. Yes. So you don't actually have the fit, you know, the, the, file. the actual file. Yeah. So they won't let us do it. Security won't let us do it. So we're stuck on Sketch. So like sharing files is like a nightmare. You got two. If you Whoa. have two designers on the same product, I mean, like good, good luck. You know. You're stuck yeah. in the '90s, uh, Jeremy. You're I know, stuck in dude. the '90s. Uh, well, oh I, I'm, me being like an architect now, like I don't design anymore really. So like everything I do is on Miro mostly. Like I do whiteboard stuff. How do you guys watch movies? Like do you, do you watch them on VHS or something? Yeah, we got uh, yeah. beta. We use beta. Beta X. Totally. <laughs> yeah, beta. beta. <laughs> we, have a, we have a projector. Like my kids crank it while we watch. Yeah, uh, makes sense. Uh, and that's and then my other little kid, he does the sound effects while we watch a movie. That's how that's we that's actually pretty fun. <laughs> <That was so fun. laughs> All right, guys. Well, that's everything for me uh, for today. Uh, do you guys uh, one last time? You kickassux.com. Yeah, um, that's right. We got some exciting news coming up. We're going to release this. I don't know what day we're going to release this. Your your news might have already released. <laughs> we but, released yeah. so, uh, but you know, if not, we'll put it in the show notes. If you guys have released it, we'll, whatever whatever exciting news you have, we'll put it in the show notes. Awesome. Um, but um, yeah, this was fun, and uh, and and we can get you guys on LinkedIn. Yes. kickassux.com I'll put some links in the show notes for all that stuff I really appreciate you guys coming on this was a lot thank of fun you so much. and thank I appreciate you so much, longest episode ever but I think worth it you definitely so worth it, it. definitely worth it. thank right. you so much Jeremy for everything yeah, cool. you're just so awesome thank you thank you well alright y'all that's it for us for today I hope we helped give you a little bit more insight into the UX education landscape but what's been your experience did you do a boot camp traditional degree what was your experience like did you feel like you were prepared did you feel like you weren't ready let us know what you think on LinkedIn or shoot us an email. Hello at beyondUXdesign.com. I'd love to hear from you. If you like what you heard today, don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you feel like you're getting something out of the show, I would love it if you left a five-star review. That would help me out so much. And if you know somebody who might get anything out of this out of the show, please don't hesitate to tell them about it. That would be fantastic. If you want to keep the show independent and ad-free, check out all our new Patreon sponsor packages at beyondUXdesign.com slash support. You can join Chris and support the show for as little as $3 per month. And there are some awesome perks like that badass holographic Beyond UX design sticker. 
You can get a shout out on the show every week, just like Chris. There's even a package to meet with me for 30 minutes every month. Don't forget to sign up for the newsletter and check out all the past episodes at beyondUXdesign.com. I hope you keep coming back for more great UX tips from Beyond UX Design. And until next time, remember you're more than a designer because there's more to UX and design. I'll see you around. Take care, y'all. Say something funny. No pressure. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. Love it. I'm done. That was awesome. Well done.